The Lifestylist, episode 103, featuring Mind Pump. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. A huge part of my health strategy is taking medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And one of my favorite ways to take them is by making herbal elixirs. That's really tasty, hot and cold drinks. It's much cooler to take them that way than taking a bunch of pills. Like, who can remember to do that? Well, I want to let you know about my friends from Four Sigmatic. These guys make the most potent, high quality and delicious herbal blends that are really easy to take. You can make a cold or hot herbal elixir drink. Like what I like to do is either add them to my bulletproof coffee, or if I don't want to have caffeine, I'll just make myself a Four Sigmatic herbal elixir with something like cordyceps, lion's mane, um, chaga mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, all the good stuff, all the stuff that you can really feel working is available at Four Sigmatic. So what I'd like you to do is go to foursigmatic.com and check it out. They have an amazing suite of products. And like anything that I promote, this is stuff that I use every day myself. I love this stuff. I'm super addicted to it, which is why I want to tell you about it. So go to foursigmatic.com. But even better, when you're there, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15% off your order, which is pretty sweet. So enter the Lifestylist and save 15% at foursigmatic.com. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. I discovered this product a few months ago, and it has changed the game for me. Everybody knows that green juice is good for you, right? Here's the deal, though. A couple disadvantages to your average cold-pressed green juice. A, a lot of times it comes in plastic, not good. B, it's usually loaded with sugar up to 25 grams, which is basically like drinking a green Coca-Cola. Not happening. Next is they go bad. You can't leave it sitting out, and they're really bad for travel. So I love my green juice. That's cool. Cold-pressed. I get the sugar-free ones. I'm into it. But Organifi makes a green powdered superfood that comes in these little packets that are portable and you can take with you. So I keep them in my car and in my bag and on demand anytime I have a bottle of water, I can pour one of these in there and have an instant green juice. Alkalizing, energizing, gives you mental clarity. It's fantastic. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. A lot of the green powders not only taste gross and are overpriced, but they'll have like 200 ingredients. And I'm always thinking, how much of each ingredient is actually in there, okay? These 11 superfoods are the important ones that you need, like turmeric, chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, and coconut water. And it's sweetened with monk fruit, so it's got a zero glycemic index. It's fantastic stuff. So if you want to check this drink out, work on your health in a way that actually tastes good and is super convenient, here's what you do. Go to Organifi.com, that's with an I, Organifi, Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20% off your order. You guys know I always give you a hookup if I'm going to tell you about something cool that I discovered. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 20%. It's really good stuff. All right, you guys, I am pumped. I am juiced. I'm getting ready to drop a mega double episode on you this week featuring Sal Stefano and Adam Schaefer from the podcast and fitness brand Mind Pump. Massively successful podcast, two super conscious dudes from the fitness industry. Mind Pump's an online radio show slash podcast that's been described as Howard Stern meets fitness. And I think of my show in that regard sometimes, like Howard Stern meets health and spirituality. Sometimes their show is super raw. Sometimes it's shocking, but it's always entertaining and informative. It's a really great podcast about the world of fitness. But what they do that I really like, unlike some of the other ones, is they really debunk all of the myths within the industry. And that, my friends, is what we are going to get down with in this one. Okay, so here's a little background on the guys. Sal Stefano was 14 years old when he touched his first weight 
And from that moment, he was hooked. I wish I could say the same thing for myself. <laughs> I picked up my first weight and I was like, I'm never picking that up again. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so he grew up an asthmatic. He was frequently sick. He was painfully skinny. He saw weightlifting as a way to change his body and his self-image. After 17 years as a personal trainer, he's dedicated himself to bringing science and truth, most importantly, to the fitness industry. Then Adam Schaefer is an IFBB men's physique pro and fitness expert. He made his entrance into the fitness world 14 years ago and has continued to send shockwaves throughout the community ever since. He's a man of many talents who wears many hats. He is first and foremost a certified fitness expert who has an insatiable desire to help people in need of major lifestyle changes and daily accountable motivation. He's also an incredibly driven entrepreneur and business-minded individual with a vision that continually challenges his colleagues and peers to think bigger and achieve more. So what happened this day when the guys came by my home studio is we discussed the next wave, the cutting edge of fitness. Now, you guys know if you listen to the show, fitness is something I struggle with a bit. I mean, I move, I do yoga, I hike, I swim, I even go to Story Fitness, my brother's spot, bust out some mobility, go through my phases of working out. But it's been something that's been difficult for me to really build into my daily program. And this show is about building the ultimate lifestyle. So I had a lot of questions about gym culture, fitness, and all of this stuff. So I got to ask them every single question I've ever wondered about bodybuilding, supplementation, all of that stuff. So this is a really good one. If you're someone that's like me that like wants to be more active and more fit and maybe even wants to get ripped, but you know, lacks the knowledge or sort of the motivation to do so, this is going to be good for you. If you are someone who thinks you already know about working out, you already know about fitness and exercise and all this stuff, you are going to trip when these guys break it down because their combined wisdom is insane, the amount of information that we come up with. So these guys came out of that traditional meathead, gym rat culture, and they've evolved into a couple really conscious, functional movers and thinkers. And it was just really inspiring to hear their story and their philosophy. They're really into sort of the new wave or the next wave of fitness. It's cool stuff. So here's what we talk about in this double epic episode, which by the way, like most of my podcast is also available in video form on my YouTube channel. So here's the breakdown. When it comes to bodybuilding, where does vanity and ego end and challenging yourself begin? How carbs spike your blood sugar and why that might not be so awesome. How food makes you feel and how many people think they feel good until they know what feeling great feels like. The fact that it's a good idea to eat differently throughout the year and not maintain the same weight year round. Eating disorders in the bodybuilding world. Ooh, that's some scary stuff. When we get into that, you guys, it's pretty hardcore. I had no idea this stuff went that deep. What are the blue zones and why do people that live there live to be 100 and above? How to do the least amount of work that will elicit the most amount of change. And then we get into ice baths. Is inflammation good or bad for bodybuilding? The benefits of stressing the body with extreme temperatures. Overworking out. How much is too much? Turns out overtraining is really dangerous and also counterproductive. So you gym rats that like to hit it hard are going to trip when you hear about that. Does sexual abstinence hurt or help performance? Then we pose the question on whether to ejaculate or not to ejaculate. Purely based on physical performance goals, okay? This is not going to be an issue for you ladies in most cases. However, it's something guys need to know. The decline of testosterone over the last four generations of men and the number one most ignored secret in raising it. Dudes, you want to hear this, bro. <laughs> bro, bro, bro. This is a very bro episode. I'm into it. How functional medicine and bioidentical hormones can improve athletic performance. Then what about steroids, HGH, L-glutamine, creatine, DHEA, amino acids? Are you wasting your money on all of these supplements? You might just be in some cases. What are the best apps for tracking your health and fitness? Then they give us a little workout hack freebie called BFR, blood flow restriction, and the risks and benefits involved. The effectiveness of machines versus free weights, the importance of your range of motion, and how to do an in-home assessment. 
Then we get into some of the psychology, fat shaming versus fit shaming, and finally, why it's crucial not to confuse your body image with your self-image. So as you can see, we pull no punches in this episode. There is a ton of really valuable information provided. This is a content-rich episode, y'all. So make sure to catch parts one and two because you don't want to miss a thing. So now, without further ado, I introduce you to my friends, Sal and Adam from Mind. All right, I got Sal and Adam here from Mind Pump. They just rolled in from the Bay Area and showed up a little early from uh, LAX, and I was getting all my stuff set up. We are now set up. We're live. We're recording. Thanks for joining me, you guys. Excellent. Which is uh, surprising, you said, for uh, LA, right? Nobody shows up on time over here? Dude, I, especially me. I mean, I've been working on this for a long time, but time is challenging for people here. It's a very laid-back lifestyle. Is that what it is? Yeah, well, when you go to some other countries, like um, Brazil, for example, if you're on time, people look at you like a jerk. That's actually know? true. So, I, like, when I was like, a kid, what's wrong with you? I did judo when I was a kid, which is Japanese, right? And everything was very on time, punctual, like specific. Then I did Brazilian jiu jitsu as an adult, and the instructor kind of just, you know, saunters in uh, 15 minutes late. Everybody does it. It's a totally, it's just a cultural thing. It's totally different. Yeah. So, that's the culture here is a little more laid back. <laughs> <laughs> so, first thing I want to jump into, I don't like to do like, to formatted, you know, interviews, Perfect. but I haven't dove into the fitness piece that much on my show. I've been going a little over a year. I've had a couple episodes on it, which have been like more on the hippie side of fitness where you guys are like fucking monsters, like tagging you to down Instagram. I was like, I'm interviewing this beast today at uh, 645. <laughs> I mean, you guys are like legit, like bodybuilding workout guys, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Cause it's kind of a missing link here. It's like, yeah, cool. You know, eat reishi mushrooms. Although we're a bit crunchy too, though. Well, you guys I, are. I think that's no, how we surprise are. people. <laughs> if you guys were like some dolt meathead guys, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't have young because it wouldn't be a good fit. You guys are conscious, but you're also like at you know, I would say the cutting edge and definitely like the bodybuilding side of fitness. Mm -hmm. So, I want to just give a little bit of context. You know, how did you guys? And, and I want to get into how you started your podcast too, because it's it's a great podcast, and also you've been really successful at it. How did you guys first just get into exercise and fitness and taking care of your body? And this all guy that? goes all well, the way back. Well, for me, the first motivation I had to exercise was uh, insecurities in my own body. I had horrible body image issues growing up. I was very very skinny. I was much more of a bookworm. And I came from a relatively athletic family. My dad was this really strong, physical, kind of blue-collar worker. Great father, great guy. Um, I couldn't ask for a better dad. But I wanted to be like him so bad, and I wasn't. I was just kind of this – I wasn't good at sports. And so I always had this kind of you know, uh, can-do attitude, and we had this weight set in the backyard – and I just applied myself, and um, I read every single piece of literature I could find on exercise. My first book I picked up on it was Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding, which is like this, it's like this thick. I still have it, by the way. It's held together by tape and prayers. But I did every single exercise in there and learned as much as I possibly could. Then I read books on nutrition. I read books on chemistry because I wanted to understand supplements. But it was all driven by uh, insecurities, which... When you're motivated by hating your body, it changes your approach to fitness. You actually make decisions for yourself that aren't the best. And so that was a lot of the beginning of my career in fitness. Um, I got into the business of fitness at the age of 18 when I was old enough to become a personal trainer. Absolutely loved it, mainly because I love fitness, but specifically because I loved people so much. So I was like combined my two favorite things um, and very quickly got into management. At 19, I ran health clubs. And I was in the business of, uh, of the fitness industry. Um, uh, at 22, I started my own uh, personal training studio, which quickly became a wellness facility. And I brought people on board who um, were very different from me. So I was this meathead, lift weights, you know, sculpt the body, everything's about aesthetics, you know, eat every two hours, take all these supplements kind of person. And I brought all these other people on board because I wanted different points of view because I wanted a facility that would cater to lots of different people. And I was thinking from a business standpoint. And I brought a massage therapist on board who was about as esoteric as you could get. I mean, she was way, I mean, she, her, her, her office was crystals and she was burning sage all the time and she talked what I thought at the time very strange. And then I had this physical therapist that br I brought on board who was also 
very much holistic with her approach. And uh, because I respected them and their business, little by little, I kind of started listening to what they were saying when it came to health and wellness. Not fully adopting what they were saying, because I was still very much into the weights and you know that side of it, until I had my own kind of health crisis. And God, I don't know how long it's been now. Let's see, I'm 38. This is probably when I was 30 or 29. Um, I've always had gut issues or issues with, you know, sensitivities to food, but it hit me all at once. And I mean, looking back, I I ignored all the signals that my body was telling me. And it was the culmination of all the damage I had done to my body. But my body retaliated and I couldn't, it seemed like I was allergic to everything that I ate and uh, I lost 15 pounds and all of a sudden I wasn't the strong guy anymore and I felt terrible. And I finally sat down with these two young ladies and I said, what can I do? And, um, you know, I did food intolerance testing. And so that was a big leap for me. And I said, okay, I am sensitive to these types of foods. And then I started learning about meditation and mindfulness. I started learning about, um, you know, different aspects of health and wellness. And as a side effect of that, which I talk about a lot now on our podcast, as a side effect of that, I looked better than I had ever looked before. And the irony of it was I wasn't even chasing it anymore. <laughs> that's, it, a, uh, that's great, dude. It, it, really, it, really, yeah. it really is responsible for who I am now when it comes to fitness and wellness. And uh, there's a quote that we say all the time on, on Mind Pump, but it was something that was a, just one of what we call a paradigm-shattering moment for me when it was I realized that um, you, know, you don't want to train and eat because you hate your body train and eat because you love your body. Oh, that's that, awesome, man. Uh, that directs you in the right way. And then the side effect of it is you actually start to look the way you want to look. And so that's been my kind of my path. Um, and well, now I, I'm much more that person, you know. A lot of this I, too has to do with, I mean, how many probably thousands of people between the two of us that we've trained in our career I think after a while you start going like, man, am I really helping these people out? Like if you actually break down like math- mathematically, like how many people's lives we are changing, it's like less than 20%. All these people paying me money, all these people training with me and kicking their ass inside the gym and you know, all of them going back to what they were like before. No one really, really changed. Like there's exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, if I really ask myself like, you know, how successful was I at what I was doing? And I have a very similar story as Sal, driven in by insecurities. I was the skinny kid growing up. I was That's six- hard to imagine. <laughs> Those of you that are watching on Insta Live or Facebook Live, like it's funny, you know, not to interrupt, but when I, you know, whenever I interview someone, I'm, I always do their research and stuff. I'm like, God, these guys are fucking huge. That must be so weird to like walk around and actually have muscles. Because like, <laughs> I've always been like this same exact size since like high school. Oh, you know? wow. So it's hard for me to imagine you being like a scrawny. Oh, kid. so I was six foot three, 145 pounds. So wow. I mean, I used to have this. In fact, I remember in my office. Damn, bro, that's skinny. Because when I was like a full on drug addict, I was six, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was six <laughs> to one thirty five. Right, you were yeah. slightly bigger than right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to keep this picture inside my office. So I, just like Sal, I started at uh, I was nineteen, going on twenty years old. A little bit different path. Um, I was. I didn't have any idea I was going to get into fitness. I wasn't as passionate about uh, working out. I was driven by my insecurities, though. I was the skinny kid. It was 145 pounds and 6'3". Um, and I was starting to work out. And I remember I was going to school at the time, and I remember seeing a, a personal trainer and thinking, like, oh, that would be a cool job to do while I go through my degree. And I started to kind of dive into it and research, okay, how does one become a personal trainer? And found out, okay, you get these national certifications and or you have a degree in the field. And at that time, I hadn't declared a major. And so I decided, okay, well, this is the direction I'm going to go. I'm going to get into kinesiology, which is the study of human movement. And uh, I picked up a national certification. And I was in my second year of junior college. And I was near my hometown. I was, wasn't going anywhere fast. I was having a good time. I, I grew up in that same town. So all my friends were there, still partying on weekends. And I just I came from a very poor family. And I, and I knew I didn't want that. And so I had a lot of ambition as a young kid. And I knew I, needed, had, to, I had to get out of there. And I had a grandmother that lived in the Bay Area. And she lived all by herself in a two-bedroom uh, apartment. And I knew I could go live there and just knock out school. And I would have no distractions, no friends, no anything, which was hard for me. I was a popular kid. I had a lot of friends and I had a major social life. But I knew I was getting older and I didn't want to go down the same path as like my parents did. And I wanted more for my life. 
And so I took off to the Bay Area and started living with my grandmother, going to school. And I walked into this gym, the same gym that uh, Sal uh, ended up working for, twenty for the company, 24-Hour Fitness. I That's walked funny. In. My brother Cody, I just interviewed. That was his start too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, for sure, yeah. if you got involved – 10, 15 plus years ago. Uh, I mean, 24 hour fitness, for those that don't know is, was, uh, the largest fitness chain in the world. It was the first fitness chain ever to reach a billion dollars. Wow. I didn't um, know. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. They were the, for sure wow. the most dominant fitness. They're still considered a pretty dominant fitness company, but back then they were, uh, just way ahead of the everybody. And, so I walked in to get a membership, and the guy, what manager, walked over to me and said, "Hey, would you would you like a job?" And I said, "Oh no, I'm just here to get a membership, and I'm going to school still. I don't have a degree or anything like that." And he said, "Oh no, well we we send you through schooling here." And he says, "You know, if you had time, could you come over here and we take this little test, and maybe you could do this?" And I'm like, "Okay, well this sounds kind of cool. I kind of wanted to do a trainer thing, anyways." Long story short, I mean, I absolutely fell in love with the job, and. Uh, month over month, I was getting better and loving what I was doing. I never, never left the gym. I loved to work out. I loved people. Um, and I just had a, it was a natural for it and, uh, did it for many years. I worked for that company for 10 years. And like I was saying, when I interrupted Sal was that, you know, at one point in my career, I remember like, just it dawned on me, like, God, like I consider myself really good at my job and I can't even help half the people. Like, am I really helping these people? And a lot of that was, because a lot of the bullshit that we have been fed and and it's and I it took me a long time to start to put that together the the business and the corrupt side uh, of the industry and when I started to realize that all this information that I've been passing down to my clients was tainted it was information that was funded by supplement companies or a business that was trying to market something and this was the information that I was feeling no wonder they weren't seeing the results that I wanted. And when I realized that, and like Sal was saying about working out because you love yourself, not because that, you know, when I realized that people had to work on their relationship with themselves first, then their relationship with food, and then their relationship with exercise, and in that order. And until they did that, I was never going to really help them. Sure, I could get somebody shredded in six weeks by starving their body of calories, running their asses on treadmills, and lifting weights like crazy, but that would be short-lived. Right. And once I started to put that together, I think then I started to become a better trainer. But that was like 10 years into my career. So I, I always, whenever we talk on the show, I always apologize to the people that I, I trained for the first 10 years because I was still piecing this all together. And we both worked for this company. And even though we worked for the same company, we never really saw each other. A couple of times we ran into each other at big meetings, but I always had heard of Sal. People had told me all the time, like, oh, you got to meet this guy, Sal. You got to meet this guy, Sal. You guys are just like each other. You guys, oh, you guys will just hit it off when you meet. And he was getting the same information. And we finally connected on, on Facebook one day, and we just started talking. And when we started talking back and forth and, and hearing each other's sharing very similar ideologies and fitness and what we saw was wrong, we said, you know what? Let's get together. Let's, let's meet. Let's talk in person. And at that time, he was working with who's our producer right now, Doug. They were in a partnership. They were building the first MAPS program. And then Justin, our other partner, our other host, him and I were in a partnership, and we were doing another fitness business that we were working together. And we all got in the room one day, and uh, it was in my living room at my house, and we just started talking about all the bullshit that was going on, and that somebody needed to come out and talk about this, like somebody, and like let's let's do this, let's get on a podcast. And we saw we're all business guys. We saw where digital media was going. Um, we saw that that was the future of media. I, I believe that. TV commercials and radio commercials are going to be dead in the next five to 10 years. Everything is going to go to streaming media. Did um, it, when, you, when you thought of starting a podcast, this, this was my thought. I'm like, I want to share the stuff I find with the world. And I thought, well, you know, the natural thing would be have a blog, you know? And then I like sat down, tried to write one blog post. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I like, a blog. Well, like, I, who has I, the patience to sit there and write when you can just have a cool conversation? Right, right. Which is definitely me for sure to do a podcast over a blog because I can't put two sentences together without fucking up the grammar for sure. So that get, <laughs> I get picked on all the time about that. So I definitely wouldn't have wrote no blog. But we, uh, we started the podcast, and um, it was instant chemistry right away, man. And it was natural. It was real. It was raw. And we knew that that's how we wanted to keep that message. I felt like uh, – and timing is everything in business, right? So we, we came in at the right time when podcasting when and streaming media was up on the rise. We also came with a message that was unique and important at that time. I felt like we were right – the pendulum had swung so far with this – 
you know, all the bullshit fake stuff that people are, the consumer is getting smarter now. Like you can do your research now. Like it's like, you don't get screwed over when you buy a car anymore. You can get on and figure all that shit out like that. The, the industry, because of the internet has changed so much. And I really feel like in the fitness industry, we are some of the first guys to really come out there and start exposing a lot of the bullshit. Oh, it's great. You ever, you ever figure something out after years and years and years of work and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is how things are and you feel like you're alone, but then you meet other people and you talk to them and they're like, yeah, that's totally what I came to the conclusion, the same conclusion. That's what it was like when we all sat down in the same room. I mean, that was part of the chemistry. We all sat down and we're like, you know, we all had discovered these, these same things. We all had realized all this. I mean, so much of the information that people are taught in fitness that they, you know, the stuff that people think is right, you know, about how to build muscle, how to burn body fat, you know, how to look a particular way. It's driven by uh, what sells supplements and what sells memberships. To well, gyms. it's feeding into everybody's insecurities, like we talk about. Yeah. It's well, designed. I, I like that you guys kind of came from that place in the beginning because that was actually one of my questions. One area I wanted to go into was just the psychology of what motivates someone in the first place to get into it, yeah. you know? And then you're already coming from this sort of wounded, insecure place in many cases, you know, both men and women that just want the aesthetic, right? They, they, mm-hmm. want to, they want approval from people or they want a husband or a wife or whatever the hell. And then you get caught in that like traditional sort of mainstream gym supplement paradigm and you're in this matrix coming from a place that's already like weakened you psychologically and then you're entering into something that is like a no-win fucking rigged a no game way. almost. You know what I mean? Because Think about it this way. If, it's if, crazy. If you hate yourself and you're going in and you're like, ah, I really hate my body, I'm going to go work out. Uh, the workout is a punishment. That's how we view it and, and that's how they sell it. The, the popular workouts, the, the P90X programs and all this stuff that people will buy literally will sell you on how hard it kicks your ass. That's what they sell you on. That's why I don't do that stuff. Right. But that's what they sell you on, right? Come to our gym. It's the hardest workout you love. It's, you know, we'll kick your ass. You're going to sweat so much. You'll get so sore. And people like that because they want to punish themselves. They want to punish themselves for looking the way they look or for not working out. And I want to beat myself up. None of it is to make yourself feel better. And that's a losing battle. You will never be consistent if that's going to be your approach to fitness. Dude, you, I, man, I wish I would have invited my brother Cody over here. You guys would really hit it off. He's totally on the same on the same page. How he got me into working out is I'd be like, oh, man, my knee hurts. He's like, dude, you got to come over and do some hip mobility. I'm like, what? Hip mobility? He's like, oh, oh yeah. that's why your knee's fucked up. That's why your ankles are pronated. That's why your big toe's bent and you got corns. I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I like you know, it. He wasn't like, that's excellent. oh, I'll give you abs, bro. He knows I don't care about that. I don't mm-hmm. get laid anymore with abs or without abs. I figured that out a few years ago. <laughs> 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 you know? It's just like, why work that hard, you know? Just learn how well, to there's, spit there's better Well, there's this game. fine line, right, of – because let's be but, honest. But too. if the goal is to, like, feel good and to have mobility and to have longevity, like, I'm in then. I don't want to be punished. So you're, you're right. Let's take a moment for a little creative visualization, shall we? Now, unless you're driving a car, in which case do not do this exercise, let's close our eyes for just a moment. Ready? Now imagine that I, your host and friend Luke Story, am passing a small hat around the room and it arrives in your hands and when that hat hits your hands, you're going to remove from your pocket two, three, four, five, ten dollars and put it in the hat and pass the hat along. Eventually that hat's going to reach your old pal Luke again and a few people will have contributed into the kitty and I will then have some funds to not only continue this show but to grow and improve it. Now, there's no hat in real life, so I'd like you to snap back out of that lovely trance that you've been in and go to lukestory.com forward slash support, where you'll find three easy ways to help contribute a small pledge, a monetary pledge, that is, to support the Lifestylist podcast. So go to lukestory.com forward slash support and help to fund the show. If you're a first-time listener or you just got here and you're not sure you're ready to commit on such a level, no prob. Just keep listening to the show. I'm so happy to bring this content, and I'm going to keep bringing it no matter what. But if you feel so inclined, a little help would be greatly appreciated. I don't think anybody really wants to be punished, but I do think that they do prey on people's insecurities. I do think that the way we market, right, we, we show these before and after images and it's all about how fast you can get in that shape when in reality, it's a journey and it takes a long time, just like anything else. You know, I, we try and explain to people, it's like learning a new subject and you would not want to cram for all, if you learn a new language, okay, 
you wouldn't try and cram that in two weeks every single day. That would just you just overload. You're not going to learn the language very well. You want to do it right and methodical. And training is the same way. And if shit, your body's talk about one of the most complex things that we could possibly find. We're still figuring shit out. We there's so much about the human body that we don't know. And when you look at the way the industry has done it for so long, it's, you know, they, they prey on the insecurities and they market that way. And it's tough when they actually use things like they take a doctor and they put together a study and then they back it up. And then it's like, okay, well, wait a second. This is tough for a consumer because here I see this guy in a lab coat. And he has a study. Always the guy in the lab. Right. And it, and it, and it says <laughs> And there's going to be a graph associated right. with it at some point. You know? and, it, and, it's, and it, all of it is, is just a ploy to market to people, to, really to confuse the consumer into buying whatever it is that they're trying to get them to buy when <clears throat> you know, the simpler way to look at it is, like I said, going back to the you know, working on the relationship with yourself, working on your relationship with food, and working on your relationship with exercise. I mean, how many times have you ever heard someone say, too, when they talk about a food, like, oh, I can't have that. It's going to make me fat. Oh, I can't eat that because it's going to make me this way. Like, no, don't think of food doesn't make you fat. That's not how that works. Learning to help people make those connections, like that's the first. The psychological piece is everything. If you can't fix the psychological part, the weight loss part, that's going to be temporary. Sure, they might lose the 20 pounds because they suffered for six to eight weeks to get to that point, but they're not going to keep that up. They never do. Those ones never keep that off until you fix what's going on in their head and you help connect those dots. So that's a process. It's not like, a, oh, oh, just tell it's them. A, and it's they a get practice. It. Yeah. It's yeah. a practice like yeah. anything. Like you approach it like like a practice. It becomes a part of your being. You know, we talk a lot about motivation and fitness. I actually wrote a post uh, about this today on Instagram. Do you actually like to write? Do you write blog posts and stuff? I, I, I like to write. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a terrible writer in the sense that uh, if you tell me to write something, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. I have to feel like I'm going to write and then I'll write three you know blogs in 15 minutes. Actually, yeah, you know, I was looking on your Instagram. You do have some pretty extensive yes. writes, comments. Yeah, yeah. He writes really yeah, long stuff. I, was, I, was I tease him all the time stuff. about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was like one little graphic caught my eye. I think it was on yours. It was about like pronated ankles. Mm. It's like back was, in your feed. That was on yours? Yeah, okay, okay yeah. I was like, ah, shit. I got I to gotta talk to you. <laughs> you get into weird stuff like that and it's like, you go, okay, yeah, they know it. There's more to this than building muscles. So I want, I want to dig into... I'm like a huge myth buster. Like Excellent. I don't like being fucking lied to. And I'm very like anti-establishment when it comes to people getting hurt and wasting their money and wasting their time on stuff. So, you know, imagine the possibilities of all the different conspiracies that mm-hmm. could conspiracies that we could cover. But I discovered some things just in learning about health and, and to a degree in fitness that I still think a lot of people are very behind on because I'll do something like drink a bulletproof coffee and someone will go, oh, what's that? Or I mention it and I go, oh, yeah, it's got you know grass-fed butter or ghee in it. And they're like, oh, God, you're going to get fat. I'm like, ah, yeah. you still haven't heard that fat doesn't make you fat? There's like these fundamental sort of myths that I think a lot of people, including probably a few of my listeners, still don't get. So let's start out with some of the most common weight loss myths, like the calorie myth okay. and you know, fat versus sugar and glucose versus ketones and that whole piece. Cause I think for a lot of people, the weight loss thing is very confusing because they go to the gym and work their ass off with a qualified trainer and they're eating right. They're just having a big fruit smoothie for breakfast, you know, and they're having like, you know, 150 grams of sugar in that banana strawberry smoothie. And then wondering why they don't lose weight. There's that kind of stuff. So speak to some of that. Well, you know, I'll tell the, you the, the big myths out there. So here's a very clear one. This is because when you talk about diet, it gets very individual. And we'll get into that, um, uh, that particular subject. But here's a very clear one. Eat small meals throughout the day because it speeds up your metabolism. This is a very, very easy myth. It's false. It actually doesn't speed up your metabolism. Does nothing to your metabolism <laughs> to eat throughout, you know, six meals. Uh, did like Frito Lay's invent that? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> actually, the, these, suppl- the supplement studies. industry did. Because, supplement okay. industry did because how hard is it to eat six meals in one day? Who the hell is going to prepare six? So meals? the guys that make the protein bars. That's right. So, okay. So okay. that's that's how it got promoted. And they based it on some science. They said, uh, okay, there's a thermic effect when you eat. Which is uh, true. Which is true. So if you have you know, a bunch of small thermic effects all day long, you effectively speed up your metabolism, which is false. The thermic effect matches the, the meal that you eat. In other words, three large meals is going to give you three large thermic effects. Six small meals is going to give you six small thermic effects. At the end of the day, the thermic effect is the same. But we are seeing now science showing that there's actually, there may be some potential negatives to eating super frequently throughout the day. It can be pro-inflammatory for some people, especially people 
with gut issues. It can cause your body to become less efficient in the way it uses protein, which is important because protein can be used for uh, repair and rebuilding, or it can be turned into energy. Well, if you feed your body protein all the time throughout the entire day, more of it's going to be used for energy and less of it's going to be used for repair. It's also a pain in the ass to eat so many uh, you know, small meals throughout the day. Uh, it, it's difficult for people to stay consistent with that. And they are finding people who eat less frequently, uh, like when we fast, um, that people actually uh, may, act, in fact, do better. So that's a very, very easy myth to tackle. Now, you talked about the difference between fats and carbohydrates and sugars and, and ketones. And yes, in fact, many people operate much, much better on a diet that is much higher in fat and much lower in carbohydrates. A lot of people do. But what's interesting about that is there's this individual variance that we're starting to discover now that is really, really fascinating. Uh, Rob Wolf wrote a book, uh, Wired to Eat, and he talks about this in his book, Wired to Eat. They'll put these continuous uh, glucose monitors on people, and measure, they will measure their glucose response or their insulin response to particular types of food. And one person can eat a cookie and have a particular response. Another person can eat a banana and have a worse response. And another person can eat an avocado, which has no carbohydrates, and have this huge spike in insulin. And it's kind of weird when you think about it, right? How am I supposed to get... You can get an insulin spike from eating just fat, like avocado? Some people actually do. Some people actually get an insulin spike from doing that kind of stuff. And they're speculating that it may, in fact, be an immune reaction. It may in fact be... Like a food if, sensitivity? Right. So if you have a food sensitivity... Or if you have leaky gut, like you could get that from right, almost because, anything. Because what happens is cortisol goes up, tells the liver, push out all this glycogen. Now you're going to get this spike in blood sugar from something that normally wouldn't give you uh, that type of That's reaction. That's trippy, dude. I didn't know that. Right. So it's very... <laughs> you it's, might have just solved the mystery of why I still have a gut and I'm like the healthiest fucking guy ever. You know? it's, it's very individual. You will find people who just have optimal health eating a vegan diet and other people who eat, you know, like Inuits do with a very high fat, high meat content and do exceptionally well. So the individual variance with food is so dramatic. And there are general rules, of course. You can't eat more calories than you're burning. If you do, you tend to gain body fat. You know, you don't want to eat lots of processed foods. Processed foods, for the most part, are not great for most so people. So the calorie in, calorie out thing you think is valid? That you there, have to burn there's more some, calories. There's some, there's some validity in. to it. It's a piece. It's yeah. definitely okay. a piece of the puzzle. So it's not everything. Remember, like, it's not uh, everything. I think it was though. Jonathan Baylor. I think wrote a, the calorie myth. I haven't read it, but I've heard him on podcasts. And it's this whole thing. Everyone's like, "Whoa, the calories don't matter." And then I, I sort of surmise from a layman's point of view that it's not that the calories don't matter. It's like where the calories coming from. Yeah, and, and I don't know is if that, I I don't think that, I'd go as far as telling someone that the calories don't matter because that's where you could get in a lot of trouble because if you start consuming yeah. it. Because you could you could still potentially eat, you know, three thousand calories of healthy food and still gain body fat and uh, it'll be harder. Yeah, exactly. It'd be very but it, challenging. But it, can happen. but it absolutely can happen. Another myth outside because nutrition I feel like God that you you're gonna take us down a rabbit hole we're never gonna get out of because the individual variance in nutrition is crazy. I think uh, one of the things that we talk Talk a lot about is the, these. Uh, everybody wants to put everybody in a box. Even like you bring, let's bring up the the bulletproof coffee. Like, you know, there's some great science behind that. We utilize that. I drink bulletproof coffee all the time. But what ends up happening is a little bit of information, a little bit of science comes out to support the benefits of something like that. And then all of a sudden there becomes a camp and then it becomes like this, this is better, or this is what everybody is doing. It's like, well, that's a tool. That's something that's great to utilize and that it has its benefits, but it's nothing revolutionary. It's nothing that, and it's nothing that's going to actually help everybody. It may help work really well with you, may work really well with me, may not work so well with him. And I think that with, when, when it comes to nutrition is realizing that everyone is so unique and different and going back, circling back to the whole relationship with food and trying to teach people how to connect the dots with how their body responds. So for example, something I do, like when I used to coach clients, I would tell you what I want you to do is, Luke, I want you to eat how you normally eat. Don't change anything for me. Just because I'm coaching you and I'm watching, don't try to impress me. Eat how you eat every single day for the next week. And then what I want to do after that week goes by then I want to talk about, so I'm going to look at some things. And there's some general rules that I, I pay attention to because most people do overconsume sugar. A lot of people miss their fiber targets. Some people miss their protein intake. Some people aren't getting enough healthy fats. So I'll normally pick one thing 
that we're going to address that I see that you're lacking or getting too much or not enough of something and say, okay, Luke, what we're going to do is I notice that you don't get enough fiber. So we're going to take your fiber up a notch and I'll recommend a couple foods in your diet. And that's all we're going to change. And then I want you to talk to me about your stool, your energy, your sleep, your libido. And I'm going to start helping you connect the dots to when you eat that way, how it makes you feel. And that right there is going to do so much more for you than telling you like, oh, this diet or this thing's working better for you. Let's talk about you and let's talk about these things that you might be lacking or missing in your diet. Let's put it in there and then let's try and figure out how your body responds when you do that or take it away, which is also why I'm a big fan of like somebody who has a lot of issues. So if you've got a lot of issues you're trying to figure out, um, going on, whether it be you know gut issues or headaches or you know fatigue, whatever it may be, um, I love putting somebody on like an elimination diet where I eliminate everything for thirty days and then we slowly start to introduce foods right. and you start to reintroduce things and you say, okay, well we haven't had any sugars and things like that for X amount of time, so now let's introduce that and let's talk about how your body feels. Oh, we haven't had any of these type of carbohydrates. Let's introduce that. Let's talk about how your body feels because there's such an individual variance trying to help people teach them what their body may be lacking. And then when they put that in their diet, how they feel that to me, once you start to put that together, cause it's crazy how many people think they feel good and they just don't know what great feels like. Like, I don't know how many clients I've asked, like, how's your diet? Oh, it's great. I feel great. Okay. You do. Well, let's see what you're eating. I look at their eating. I'm like, fucking hey, there's no way this person feels good. Right. Like you, you, or think- how many times you ask someone, how's your digestion? Like, oh, I got great digestion. Like, right. okay, well, let's talk about how often are you constipated? Uh, three days a week. Okay. Well, that's your digestion's not good then. Right. That's not normal. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, the evolutionary piece is missing in the in when we start to recommend how people eat. And what I mean by that is if you look at human evolution, there guaranteed there were times when we were when we were eating just vegetables and roots and tubers and nuts and seeds. Guaranteed there were times when we all we could eat were the things that we hunted. Guaranteed there were times we ate lots of fruit. I mean, humans starvation killed humans all the time. And so we ate what was what was around us and we evolved around those things. And so the variance is is dramatic and it's probably a good idea to eat differently, you know, throughout the year. It's probably not a good idea to stay the same way all the time. The body seems to work really well with some of that variety. It doesn't have to be this wide, crazy variety, but sometimes I go, look, I'm typically I'm keto-ish. I eat in that direction, higher fat, lower carbohydrate. It works great for me. But I do inject vegan days, which are typically more carbohydrate based. I notice that they feel good for my body. That when I go back to my keto type diet, I start I feel like a boost from it. I get my body almost becomes uh, desensitized to it when I stay on it too long, and when I go out of it and come back in, I get all these benefits. And I also notice benefits when I'm eating just you know vegetable sources of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. Well, think of it like anything else that we do. Like your your body is an adaptation machine. Like everything our body is always trying to adapt to. So why would nutrition be any different? And it, our body responds very well to bits of stress, right? We put, we go down the sun, we get a little bit of stress, we get this tan from that. We go, we exercise, we get stress while we work out, we lose body fat, we build muscle. Like all these things that we're doing, we're putting stress on the body, then the body adapts and it strengthens. So same thing nutritionally, if you get in this where, which is like, you know, I was in the bodybuilding world. So one of the things I noticed right away that I was like, oh my God, like these bodybuilders, because they look like they're in amazing shape. If you want, there's more eating, eating disorders there than anywhere else. Oh, man. I've trained thousands of people. There's more, there's more fucking eating problems in the bodybuilding world where everybody thinks they're perfect because they look at like the cover of a magazine. But those guys and girls are like eating disorders as in like bulimia and everything. Oh my God. Everything. Wow, I you, thought bulimia, anorexia, you uh, have, uh, or well, they'll eat orthorexia. The yeah. Everything. You name mm-hmm. it. There's more, there is more eating disorders in the bodybuilding community than there is in all the clients that I've ever trained. Wow. It's that, it's that crazy. Have you guys, I just found out about this idea of orthorexia a couple years ago. And when I first kind of heard a couple definitions of it, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> have, when you guys have gotten into health and stuff, have you ever, you know, realize that the pendulum swung a little too far. Absolutely, you're too obsessed about gluten. And Absolutely, this and that. And one hundred percent. When you, I've had to almost like loosen up a little bit and find a middle ground because well, there's definitely shit I'm very sensitive to that will wreck me. It inflames me. It's just never good. 
but there's also like that really uptight mind where every restaurant you go to, you're, yes. you're the fucking downer at the table that's like, oh, nothing's organic or whatever, you know, or whatever. So uh, food- To find the balance has been tricky for me. And food doesn't just provide uh, nutrient value and sustenance in the food itself. It also provides, there's also an emotional component. There's a spiritual component. There's connecting with other people around food. If I'm, if it's my kid's birthday and it's this, it's a cake and we're celebrating a birthday and having a great time with family, uh, it may be healthier for my wellness. Because remember, wellness encompasses everything, not just my body fat, muscle, my gut health and all that stuff. It's also everything else. It may benefit my wellness to have a glass of wine and a piece of cake and connect with all these people at this party. And that's what true wellness is. And orthorexia is going too far in the direction of food is only nutrients. It's only what goes in my body and that's all I'm going to do. And those people are not healthy in other ways. Now, they sure, sure, they may be feeding their bodies perfectly, but they're not. If you've ever met anybody in this particular condition, you know they're not healthy. They've got that mental side that's not uh, very good. They don't have good connections with other people because yeah. they can't go anywhere. It's, it's control. You know, yes. it's control. I, I interviewed a guest, <laughs> Neil Strauss, an author, and... Uh, and he's always, I mean, I've talked to him about this on numerous occasions, but he's always busting my balls about like how healthy I am. And I've like kind of health coached him, you know, when he had a baby, he's like, oh, I want to clean up my diet and get some junk out of the house and stuff, which is really fun to see someone addicted to MSG. <laughs> he's like, not the hot sauce, I'm like MSG, it's out. But he's always like, dude, your whole thing is control. You know, let's look at your childhood. He'll like psychoanalyze you in five minutes. I'm like, all right, yeah. So mom was, you know, drank a bit. Uh, and I, there were situations in which I was not in control as a kid. There was some abuse. And then you can see how that like mm-hmm. correlates in life. So now it's like, I don't eat this. I do eat that. I don't do this. You know, it's like I've had to really sometimes let go of practices just to surrender the control and not be fucking neurotic. And then I might come back to be like, yeah, you know what? I actually don't want to eat gluten. Not out of control, but just because it really does have a negative exactly. effect on me. Exactly. But at the same time, man, every once in a while, I'm like, yo, pass me those Oreos. <laughs> I go to town, you know, and I know it's not optimal, but it, it, you're right. It's like, it's that frame of mind, right? So if you're enjoying, I love you said, like, have a glass of wine and a cake and you're with your family, like the love that you're experiencing and the good vibes that you're experiencing are probably better for you. Absolutely. And override the possible, you know, the glyphosate that's in your red wine or whatever. Look, you know? look, look, the best studies, the ones I like to reference. And the brain are connected, yeah, man. We and, know this and, now. And, and, you're, and the soul, I mean, the best studies that I like to reference are the ones that are done on the world's blue zones. Blue zones are places in the world where people live, uh, where there's a disproportionate amount of people that live to 100 or more compared to the rest of the world. And they've is, identified... Is the blue about, zones have anything to do with the China study? Is there a correlation? No, no it's different. Oh, different. Okay, so, okay. so like uh, Okinawa, you know, is a place. Sardinia uh, is another blue zone. There's, uh, I think, the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. They qualify. These are people that what just are those live... guys eating? They just... Like, well, I'll tell you what they... So when they did this study, they thought they would find a silver bullet. Like, oh, crap. You know, here's all these areas in the world where people are living a long time for sure we're going to identify like some silver bullets like these people because when these people move out of these blue zones and then they live like the cultures that they you know that they're the new cultures whatever they don't they no longer live longer so it's not a genetic thing so they ruled that out so it had to be their lifestyle and really what they found was there wasn't any silver bullets and some of the stuff that they found that they all had in common were things that you never you wouldn't normally think of all of these areas had great social connections, great communities. People had a purpose. That was the number one thing that they all had in common where people who are 80 and 90 and 100 years old, they had lots of friends and they'd go do these, you know, there's like a fisherman. I read the story about this fisherman in Sardinia who was 102 and he'd meet up with his friends every morning and they'd go on the fishing boat and they'd go out and they'd go fishing. They'd come in and they'd go up in the hills and they'd pick some berries and then they'd have wine together and their diets were definitely healthy. Nobody overate. The foods were, you know, like you would expect, but some of the, some cultures ate more meat. Other cultures ate more vegan. These cultures over here had more dairy. These cultures over here had less dairy. Um, you know, this culture had more wine, this culture had more tea. But the one thing that everybody really had in common were those social connections. It is very important. It's one of the reasons why they speculate that people who are religious tend to live longer or spiritual tend to live longer. People who are married, believe it or not, 
tend to live longer. And they think that that people no who have sense. pets. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it, it makes perfect yeah. sense. People who have pets tend to live longer, and it has that's part of wellness. So if you approach oh, uh, wow. nutrition like this, you know, I have to be this way, and it's and even if it's perfect from a nutritional standpoint, you're not really healthy. You're actually That's funny. My listeners right now are like, "Ah, Luke's getting schooled." <laughs> like on the show so much, I'm like, "Eat this, don't eat that." You know, like we sound I, like that too, though. A lot of times, and yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes people sound like we can sound that way too, which we always got to come. I think we always end up backpedaling yeah. and reminding people that it is. It's always about your, your. It's your relationship with food and yourself. I mean, just if you keep going back to that, and you don't want to have this poor relationship with exercise, poor relationship with yourself, or with food, you know. Another thing that I think is completely uh, abused in the fitness industry, we talk about, and I think it's it's growing, it's getting worse right now, is beast mode, no days off, crush it, kill it. That you was know. one of my topics, overtraining. Right. Yeah, like this this mentality. I've never of, had to worry about that myself. I mean, well, okay, now here's something I say on the show a lot. So Actually, and, though, you know what? I haven't overtrained, but I've done movements and worked with weights that my joints were not ready to do. Well, here's, now, here's I've injured myself a lot. Here, here's not what like, I say. Not like training seven days a week, you know, but that's, but that's overtraining, right? Okay. Okay. That's another definition. You're doing more than you need to, to get your body to change in the way you right. want to. Dude. I, I mean, my shoulder is still fucked up from like bench well, pressing too much weight years ago. And I was like, I, it was too much. The goal, the goal is, and we say this on the show all the time, the goal is to do the least amount of work to elicit the most amount of change. Like it. Because our, our body is an, an adaptation machine, so if you throw the whole kitchen sink at it right out the gates, well, guess what? It's going to get smart. It's going to figure it out, and then where do you have to go from there? So trying to do as little as possible to elicit the most amount of change is is first and foremost, and having, having that mentality when you're going into training. And this whole... A beast mode mentality where we're we're crushing this workout is just insane. Along the point of uh, you know what Adam's saying, the reason why some of our programs are so popular is because we go against that. People do our programs and then they're blown away by the results. Like you know, I'm not working, I'm not hammering myself, I'm not sore for five days in a row, but I'm stronger. I've gained ten pounds of muscle. I'm leaner. It feels it feels effortless compared to what I was doing before, and I feel good. I think people have this misconception that workouts need to suck, that they need to feel terrible. Well, they, 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 also think, they also think that the soreness translates into a good workout, and actually soreness is, is more of an indicator of, an of you overtraining. So a lot of people connect that being sore, that, oh, I had a really good workout. And it's like, no, that's not necessarily true. You don't want to be super sore. <laughs> Dude, afterwards. I used to date a girl who would be like – we would go work out and she'd be super pissed the next day if she wasn't sore. She's right. like, we wasted our time. And I'd be like, well, we worked out hard. It's no. like, I'm not sore. This you actually sucks. shouldn't be sore. I want to feel, I got a question on that. On that. I don't want to forget. It was, it's in my notes, but I don't want to forget it. It has to do with ice baths. And I don't know if you guys even know the answer. Yes. It's pretty random. Okay, so I love cryotherapy and ice baths. I'll jump in a fucking lake, river. I, the colder, the better. Excellent. Anywhere above, anywhere between 32 and 40, that's my sweet spot. And I'll sit in there for 10, 20 minutes. I love it, okay? So one thing that I really dig is doing ice bath right after I work out. So I go to Story Fitness, my brother's spot, and we'll do like high-intensity 20-minute kind of thing with compensation at the end, mobility in the beginning. Really good, like I think you guys would approve, like holistic good workouts, but hard. And I would be sore, I think, but I could do an ice bath, and I'm never sore. Mm -hmm. And I'll go work out with people that work out more than me. Like, oh, I'm so my legs from all those fucking kettlebell squats yesterday. I'm like, ah, I didn't get it. And then I heard Rhonda Patrick talking about um, inflammation. And then when you do an ice bath after you you work with weight, that it kills the inflammation, and you it's need the inflammation to gain muscle. Mm -hmm. So she's like, it's great unless you want to build muscle. So do you guys think that if you if you're actually trying to gain muscle mass, that ice baths right after you work out are going to it's it's a double edged sword. It is, yeah, it's a, it's a signal. So inflammation is so we always try to fight inflammation all the time. So no inflammation, inflammation is bad. No inflammation is necessary. It's a necessary signal to the body. Now inflammation run rampant or inflammation that's disproportionate is bad and that's a result of that could be a result of nutrition poor nutrition overworking too much uh, with your workouts you know poor sleep hormone issues whatever that stuff you want to control but it's not the inflammation necessarily that's bad although that can cause problems it's the root cause of it that's usually the issue fighting inflammation and killing inflammation is also killing the signal that it tells the body so I'll give you an example. They do studies where they'll have athletes take high doses of NSAIDs like uh, ibuprofen 
or other anti-inflammatories, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And they'll find that protein synthesis is lower, muscle building is lower, and the risk of injury is actually higher uh, over the years because that signal is uh, sending, telling the body to repair and rebuild. And if it's not there or if you're blunting it, you're not repairing and rebuilding as much as you normally would. So an ice bath after your workout is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it may enable you to work out harder, but on the other hand, you could get the same results working out not as hard and not doing the ice bath. <laughs> that right. is, Do you that see what I'm sucks. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, you, you, you got to remember the, the benefits, too, of training that system, too, though. Sure. Because you got to – so one of the things that we talk about is contrast, right? Cold, hot. We don't yeah. ever do that anymore. Like, we're so comfortable all the time. Back That's to what my I said. Jam, dude. You saw my infrared. Right, sauna. right. Back to what I said earlier. Ice bath. Come back. Take another. Sauna. Right, right. You know, back to what I was talking about earlier. Is we get so um, we get so comfortable, and we don't realize that stress is good for the body, right? So learning to stress the different systems in the body, and that's one of them. Is being able this hot, cold contrast is extremely good for your uh, your system. I think that the, you're going to get those benefits. I think you could utilize. I use cryo. I love cryo. Um, I like to use it before a workout. So talk about getting you get a nice little endorphin rush before you go get a lift in. Go get your cry, get your cryo, and then go do a nice lift, and then you can still get the benefits because you're getting you're sending that signal. You're not dampening the, you're not bringing the inflammation down. You let the body do take its natural course and rebuild and repair after that. So that's interesting. I, I could so I could do an ice bath before my workout or completely separate. Like so, right, right. I mean, you got to remember. So then we had this question not too long ago. Someone asked this right, and it depends on who I'm talking to. Now, if I'm talking to an athlete. Um, where you're going to have to perform on, on two days later again, right? You got, you know, like NBA, right? They're traveling, they're playing a game like every, you know, every three days or whatever like that they're playing. So yeah, you bet their ass, their cryo, their icing afterwards. Their main goal isn't to build a bunch of mus- muscle like a bodybuilder like me. Their goal is to recover so they can perform again two days later. Right. So that so that trumps the whole signal. Who cares? Right, because right. you're a parent. The goal is different. The goal is different. Yeah. Now, if you're somebody yeah. who is a bodybuilder, it would not be very advantageous for you to go and train really hard and then go dump, jump in a cryo afterwards. In fact, if that was the case, then I would do it completely separately. It would be its own training. So I like to do cryo either one before or ice baths or temperature contrast on a total separate day of training. Like that would be its own day. Like I might meditate. Right. So you maybe integrate that into your recovery day or mobility right. day or something be Exactly. Like that. Be right. a mobility day or just sauna day, meditation, and then incorporate the hot, cold contrast you know, be and it separate from training, unless again it was a sport and I'm trying to perform. Then utilizing like that makes more That's sense. Cool. Yeah, my my thought was, a I'm I mean, dude, like what guy wouldn't like to have bigger muscles? So I wouldn't be mad at that, but it's not my goal. So when I found that out that I might be like, you know, stymieing the muscle growth, and I was like, ah, oh, that kind of sucks because I am working out really hard. I wouldn't mind looking better or just feeling stronger. And, uh, but then I thought, you know what, but then I come in the next day and I can crush another workout cause I'm not sore. Like I'm totally recovered when sure. everyone else is whining about the day before. Right. So that was my like benefit to cost ratio analysis. I was like, well, at least I can like come in, you know, a good three or four solid days and do like, you know, some high intensity stuff and you know, not be dying. Yeah. You know, think what, what, what is the result you're looking for? What is the, the goal? Is your goal to be able to work out more? Or is your goal to see some kind of change uh, in your body and your performance? And that's what you have to weigh out. If you're, like Adam's talking about, the athlete that is just always tiptoeing on the line of overtraining, they need to be able to do play their games and train uh, on a regular basis, then it makes sense for them to do it all the time. If your goal is to have your body to change, it may not be beneficial to do it so often. You just made me think of something so speaking of an athlete, say like a boxer, you know, someone who's like a high performance professional athlete. And I remember when I was a kid, there was these things where or this, I don't know if it was a myth or not. It's what I'm fun to find out is a boxer's trainer would like make sure they didn't have sex. Like you weren't allowed to bust. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you think there's any truth to that, that you diminish like testosterone or strength? In the short just, term. Yeah. In the short term, if, if a man abstains. I mean, like, if you were going to fucking, you know, an MMA fight or something like the fight of your life, would you, like, rub one out the night before? So there's, no, there's, no, there's no studies showing whether or not it's beneficial or uh, if it takes away from performance. So we, there are no studies. Okay. But there are studies that show that if a man who is normally sexually active abstains from ejaculation for a short period of time, the first thing you'll notice is a rise or a spike in testosterone. Now, if he continues to abstain, testosterone levels actually start to drop. 
And this Again, is ev- the body adapts. Like this, is ev- this is evolutionary. <laughs> yeah. This is evolutionary. Uh, you know, this is we evolved this way, right? I'm not getting. I'm <laughs> so not that's getting like laid. nature, like weeding out the guys that can't get laid from procreating. <laughs> well, I think at first it's trying to get you laid, right? <laughs> it's giving right, you a stronger right. signal, and then it's like. But well, if you well, don't take advantage of it, nature's like, all right, we're cutting you off. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So <laughs> work on your game, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's in the short term, right? In the long term, yeah. it's probably not a good idea. Uh, that's, I don't, the, that's called the the curse of the chump caveman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't know about you, but if I'm not having sex for a month before my fight, I'm probably going to be very aggressive in the ring. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, going yeah. to jump in there and be like, I haven't gotten laid. Yeah, I had sure. buddies that did it before football and stuff like that. It was a common thing for sure. And I think really that's one of those things, again, there's going to be an individual variance, right? Yeah. Like maybe some guys, because they haven't had sex and they're all wound up, they take their aggression out on the field. Maybe other guys like me, I'm going to be all flustered because I haven't had sex in a month. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to be <laughs> a wreck. straight. Right. So I think like, I think that's one of those things where there's going to be individual variances. Yeah. There is no studies that prove. Well, as I've gotten older, I notice that, and this pisses women off that I date, but I generally feel just emotionally, mentally, physically better when I don't have sex a lot. Right. You know, I'm just like, I bring it better. My career, productivity, focus, I'm just like happier. Now, you know, that said, <laughs> I would be unhappy if it never happened. But um, I just I, think as we age, we we like quality over quantity. Yeah, I guess I guess so. But yeah. I, I've definitely noticed like it sort of diminishes my energy and stuff like that. You yeah. know, so I'm always wondering, is there anything to that? And actually, you know, you reminded me of something. I interviewed John Gray, uh, the author of Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus, and oh, he's great. an expert oh, wow. on hormones. Yeah, I interviewed him twice. Old school, Bri- book, oh, man. brilliant guy, man, brilliant guy, really fun, really cool guy. But his whole work is really based on hormones, you know? And he was saying that, um, similar to what you said, Sal, where if you... He basically recommends kind of edging. I mean, he doesn't call it that, but he's like, the best thing you can do to keep your testosterone high is to be sexual and be active and be aroused, but don't ejaculate. And if you're going to ejaculate, on average, about once a week is good. And then you never... And this he, he generalized it for most men, you know, regardless of age, pretty much. And it was interesting. He said, yeah, you should you should not totally not have sex because he was celibate for, I believe he said 10 years when he was studying to be a monk wow. in India and shit. Literally like did not check off, did not get laid oh, wow. in that long. Yeah. And it wasn't healthy. You know, he said, no, you've got to like circulate that yeah, energy. I don't know if I could have a bunch of sex mm-hmm. and not orgasm all week. I feel That's, like it's tough. Dude. I feel like I mean, that I would not worth the testosterone boost. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. You could double my testosterone. I'll be like, I'll, I'm cool with half the testosterone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, need to, I need to finish this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I don't know. Like a lot of this stuff, it, I'm, I'm sure it's so individual, you know. At the um, end, one, one thing that I do know, though, for fucking sure, dude, because I've asked a lot of guys. I want to see what your guys' take on this. And this show is not X rated, but at times R rated. That's fine. In terms of like to ejaculate or to not ejaculate, in my life, it depends a lot on the premise, meaning that if there's a partner involved, it's much better for me to psychologically, much less draining energetically. If there's pornography involved, it's not, it's really bad. Mm. It's bad stuff. And so I, I asked, I just like, I don't have anything against pornography morally, but it is not good for me. It's like toxic. Well, there's studies right now. We talk about this on the show. There's studies that are showing that, I mean, we have, we did a whole episode on the decline of the modern man, right? The testosterone of the modern (laughs) man because of how uh, available pornography now is for young boys. You have boys now in their teens and early twenties that are having erectile dysfunction and it's because you're getting this overstimulation. I mean, right, we. I mean, right. I know we're we're all in our late 30s, early 40s, and man, it was a big deal to get a magazine cut <laughs> Playboy out. Magazine. Yeah, you mean you? Dude, that was I could that trade, was gold. I could trade a porn magazine for a bike when I was a kid. I mean, it was valuable. <laughs> yeah, that's how yeah, hard yeah. it was to get. As a kid, now I, actually, you get onto YouTube. That's and you crazy. Can, dude, within yeah, two minutes, you just that. overstimulated by it. And then think about that as a you know 15, 16, 17 year old boy who's mostly masturbating, probably not having a lot of sex, and then he gets out in the real world, and then he has sex with his first girlfriend at 17 or 19 or whatever when he loses his virginity, and it's nothing like what he's been jerking off to for the last six years. And think of how weird that has to be and how challenging that has to be for a young male who's been masturbating to this pornography like that. So, yeah, there's definitely... Well, it, Thank God they didn't have iPhones when I was a <laughs> yeah, kid. Right. Oh, I, I, I never would have left the house. I would have had the truancy officers like chasing me.
All right, all right. So that brings us to the end of part one with Sal and Adam from Mind Pump. Really cool stuff, right? God, what a blast I had sitting down with these guys. I actually had no idea that I would relate to them so much because they're they're such like kind of big, ripped, intimidating dudes, like the kind of guys that used to kick me and my friend's ass in high school, you know? <laughs> but they're really cool, conscious dudes, man. They meditate. They're like down with everything. So after many requests from the lifestylist audience about like, hey, we want more fitness, we want more workout stuff, but the real stuff, the cutting edge, I was very grateful to have the guys in and also grateful that we got to go for two plus hours, which means, you know what, we're going to be dropping part two this Friday, which you don't want to miss. As the episode goes into the second half, we get even more raw. It gets even more, I would say, Howard Stern-esque when we get into some funny stuff towards the end. We just had a great time. Shit got loose. Shit got crazy. So thank you so much for joining me. You know, one of the best ways you can support this show is, of course, by sharing it with your friends. So if you know a friend that is a gym rat, workout person, share this with them, enlighten them with some, some cutting edge, possibly new information for them. And if you know someone that could use a little more fitness in their life, share it with them as well. I really appreciate the support and I will be in your eardrums this Friday. Peace out. Check it out. Don't play yourself and miss next week's epic double episode on Tuesday and Friday featuring Nadine Artemis of Living Libations, where we talk about renegade beauty, natural skin care, natural dental hygiene, how to get in the sun safely, and all sorts of other lifestyle hacks. It is powerful. Make sure to subscribe to this show so you don't miss that episode or any amazing episode to follow. That's next Tuesday and Friday featuring Nadine Artemis. Okay, now that we've wrapped up another episode and are even more inspired to live a healthy, happy lifestyle, I want to remind you to go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Check out the green juice powder. It's fantastic. And what's even more fantastic is that if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, you're going to save a whopping 20% off your order. Go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, save 20%. 